How are we doing tonight? We good? All right. I saw some of you stumbling in a little bit earlier. You're yawning. You're like, man, I need some coffee. I'm so tired. I just woke up from a nap. So um, we're glad that you stumbled in tonight and that you made it. And so uh, tonight is our last week in a series that we've been in, and we've been talking a lot about blood, a whole lot about blood. And so maybe get you caught up, maybe it's the first time here. So not in a morbid way we've been talking about this, but what we've been trying to communicate as part of this series over the last few weeks is that blood brings life and it removes death. All right, blood brings life and it removes death. So that's what we've been talking about. And that's true of our physical bodies and what blood does for us as human beings. And as we've been looking at, that is true and, and kind of a theme that we see in the Bible. And so you can look at it as, as we've been studying the last couple weeks. I mean, the, the truth is that blood does bring life and it removes death. And so from beginning to end, we see that blood is a common thread throughout the Bible. And so it starts all the way out in, in the beginning. And we look at Old Testament and stories like the Passover, which the seniors did a great job of talking about last week. Yeah. And proud of you seniors. So did a great job of talking about the Passover and something that's not really e- all that easy to talk about. And they nailed it and did a great job. And, um, and so this Passover lamb whose blood was shed and God used the, the blood of the lamb on the doorposts to protect Israel. And to provide protection and ultimately freedom from, or for them. And so as you continue on and you, and you read, Israel leaves Egypt and they start messing up like we all do right and they started making mistakes and they started rejecting God and and doing their own thing and so God set up a system as they were in the wilderness and then when they got into the promised land this system set up that was to to temporarily remove the sin to offer forgiveness on a temporary basis and it was by bringing in these lambs these spotless these innocent lambs and killing them, and that blood would cover the sin of the people. And they had to do it every year. And so it would cover them for that year and be like, hey, you know, thanks so much. We'll see you again next year because you're going to sin. You're going to mess up again. And so the very next year, then they'd have to do it all over again. And it was this system that would provide some temporary relief that ultimately what it did was it foreshadowed and led us to Jesus. It kind of teased and said, hey, This is just going to provide temporary relief, but permanent relief is coming. And so Jesus enters the scene and Jesus, as our perfect lamb, comes to the world, the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And Jesus died on a cross and his blood was shed. And for any of us that put our faith and trust in Jesus as Savior, that blood that Jesus shed permanently covers our sin. Not for a period of time, not for one or two sins, not for most of the stuff that we do, but it permanently offered forgiveness once and for all that it is finished. But it doesn't stop at the cross. So then Jesus leaves and then the rest of the New Testament becomes about this new life and celebrating this sacrifice that the lamb has done for us and what it means to be forgiven and what it means to have freedom and, and, and life in Christ. And it leads us up to the book of Revelation. 
All right, and then Revelation is the last book of the Bible. And it is a book of the Bible that we as Christians believe actually foretells or foreshadows or prophesies, sees, prophesies about the end of the world. That not just like, oh, those are cool stories. Let's talk about it in like, you know, mythology class or whatever. But what we as Christians actually believe are events that will take place at the end of the world. And as these events are being told about, as kind of this plan is being unveiled and we're reading some of the crazy crap that's about to go down at the end of the world, we see again the blood of the lamb that has an epic moment in the story that enters the scene and has a really significant thing to do. And so the crazy thing about this story is, and this is what I want you guys to, to kind of you know, hone in on as, as we get ready to look at this story, is that it is a, this moment that we're about to talk about is a moment of great news and great joy, and it is a cause for celebration for many of us. But it's also a cause for concern for others in the world and even some of us that may be in the room tonight. So this moment that we're about to look at is either a cause for celebration for us or it's a cause for concern. So if you have your Bibles, let's look at Revelation chapter 5. All right, Revelation chapter 5 is where we're going to be for the next few minutes. And so let me just kind of set up what we're about to read, all right? Because again, there's some crazy stuff that's about to go down. So here's what happens. John is an apostle or a disciple of Jesus. So he walked with Jesus. He saw Jesus live. He was the one that was at the cross when Jesus died. He saw Jesus after he rose from the dead. So Jesus or John has got some equity here, all right? His opinion and what he's seeing and what he's telling about, it matters. It carries weight. So John is allowed to see these visions. And it's these visions of the end of the world. And that's what he writes about in the book of Revelation. So he starts writing about some of the things that he sees. And here's the first thing, one of the first things that John sees. He sees the throne room of God. All right, he sees heaven and he sees God on the throne and he sees worship like you and I have never seen or experienced worship before. There's angels and there's all these kind of weird animals and weird beings and there's just all these people that are surrounded the throne and they are all fixed on God who is sitting on the throne and they're worshiping him. And then John looks down at, at God and he sees that God is holding something in his hand. And he's, what God is holding is he's holding this scroll. Now for you and I, we read that, we're like, I don't really know what scrolls are. They don't really have much significance. But for John in that time, like that was what he saw and it meant a lot to him. So John, John sees this scroll that God's holding, all right? And this scroll that God's holding is, has seven seals on it. So it's sealed up. And this scroll, what is in this scroll that God is holding, is God's plan and God's purpose for God establishing his kingdom on earth for all eternity. All right, it is the plans and purposes of God. So there's some significant stuff that's in this scroll. So John's watching this and he's, he sees this scroll and all of a sudden he starts to understand that no one has the authority to open this scroll. No one has the authority to break these seven seals that are on it 
and open the scroll. And therefore, because no one is worthy enough to open this, God's plans and God's purposes have been put on hold. And therefore, sin and darkness and and everything continues to have its way on the earth. So this is not a good thing. And John sees this and he understands that God's plans are put on hold. And he starts weeping. He starts crying. He's overcome with emotion. And he's in this moment feeling like all hope is lost. Because this seal and God's plan and God's amazing purposes to establish his kingdom once and for all have have been stopped. There's something that has caused it to not be able to take place. And in the moment when all hope seems lost, somebody steps up and they make a grand entrance. Now let me stop the story for just a minute and let's talk about this. So have you, have you ever had one of those moments, not maybe like this that we're about to read, but kind of the, uh, seen or experienced kind of a, a grand entrance. Like you've walked into a room and it's been like a big deal. All right, for example, you think about maybe, any, we got any prom kings or queens in the room? Anybody been voted prom king or queen? Like legit? Anybody or are you just messing? All right, so we can just pretend. All right, pretend that you were prom king or you were prom queen, whichever you want to be. And so you think about that moment when they announce the winner and the person has been voted the prom king or queen. And there's like this epic moment, this grand entrance where they either walk into the room for the first time and they're anointed the king or the queen. Or they step forward and the moment becomes about them. They are now the one that is worthy of this honor. Or you think about a wedding party. All right, you think maybe you've been a part of a wedding party or you've seen a wedding party at a reception and they announce the wedding party and all of a sudden, you know, the groomsmen and the bridesmaids, they come dancing down, you know, in the room, acting a fool. And then all of a sudden, the, you know, the bride and the groom come in and it's like this moment, this grand entrance where now it's all about this bride and this groom. How many of you guys were at Rush this past summer? So none of you could ever forget the epic moment, that grand entrance on the last night of Rush when Champton walked into the room. Everybody that was in the room that night was full of hope for the future or not, or you're just embarrassed. Now, one of, one of my favorite memories um, in this country's history, or at least that I've experienced, um, actually happened after one of its darkest days. And some of you guys weren't even alive yet, which is sad for me to even talk about this and hit puberty. So September 14th, 2001, how many of you guys weren't alive? September 14th, 2001, you guys have to think, when was I born? So Terrorists had just flown buildings into the World Trade Center and into the Pentagon. And it was a, one of the darkest days in the history of this country. And, you know, those, we watched those, I watched those towers fall on TV. I remember, like, you know, just that, the country feeling hopelessness and sadness and anger and all of these emotions. And so on September 14th, three days after that, President Bush comes to ground zero and he's walking around and 
he, he's given a bullhorn and he's there to kind of provide hope and encouragement to those people who are digging through the rubble and trying to find survivors and things like that. And so he grabs the bullhorn and he's trying to talk to them and encourage them and tell them that the country's behind them. And somebody yells, we can't hear you. And then he stops and he says, I can hear you. And the people of the world hear you. And then he says this, says this sentence that is one of the most powerful things. He says, and soon the people who knock these buildings down will hear all of us soon. And it was this moment like everybody's like, USA, USA. And I'm watching, I'm like, yeah, man, let's go. Like, you're going down, Taliban. You know, we're taking you down. We're coming and we're hunting you down. And you're, you know, we're going to, you know, whatever. So we're all fired up, right? It's this big epic moment because someone has come in that has the power to provide hope. So to go back to the story, that's what we're reading in Revelation chapter 5. When all hope seems lost, when it seems like no one can step forward and open this scroll, Jesus steps forward. Jesus enters the scene and Jesus provides hope. Jesus steps forward and he grabs the scroll, the only one that is worthy enough to open the scroll and therefore to begin the events that will lead to the establishment of God's kingdom on this earth for all eternity. Jesus is now able to step forward. And in this moment, John is looking at this and he describes Jesus stepping forward and he says it's a lamb that looks as if it had been slaughtered. Now, that's not typically the way that we would view Jesus, especially in this moment. Like we're thinking like that kingly lion who's stepping in and he's taking ownership and power and like he's coming to dominate. And like that's the Jesus that we're thinking of. But that's not the, that's not the Jesus, the picture that we're painted by John in this moment. What we see and what John describes is a lamb that looks as if it had been slaughtered. This bloody and bruised and beaten up and has, looks like it has suffered and bled and died. That's the Jesus that steps forward in that moment. It is the Lamb of God that has taken away the sins of the world. It is Him that is worthy enough to open the scroll. He's the one that can bring about and begin God's plan and God's purpose. So here's what takes place. In, Ma in uh, Revelation chapter 5, starting in verse 9, everybody stops and they start worshiping. And here's what it says. And they, talking about all of heaven, sang a new song with these words. You are worthy to take the scroll and break its seals and open it. For you were slaughtered and your blood has ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have caused them to become a kingdom of priests for our God and they will reign on the earth. Verse 11, then I looked again and I heard the voices of thousands and millions of angels around the throne and of the living beings and the elders. And they sang in a mighty chorus, worthy is the lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. 
And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea. In other words, all of creation. And they sang blessing and honor and glory and power belong to the one sitting on the throne and to the lamb forever and ever. And the four living beings said, amen. And the 24 elders fell down and they worshiped the lamb. Now I'm getting fired up just reading about this again. Like this is an incredible moment. This is an unbelievable moment. And it is a moment that one day everyone who belongs to God will witness. If you and I have put our faith and trust in Jesus as Savior, we will be a part of this moment that I've just read about. You and I will get a chance to watch and look as the lamb steps forward and grabs the scroll. And and maybe for the first time, you and I will fully understand and see the lamb and go, God, you have covered my sins. We will understand the weight of the sacrifice that Jesus made for us to allow us to be a part and worthy enough to be in that moment, in that room, in that time. It is an unbelievable picture to know that we are able to be in that moment and in that room because the lamb whose blood covered our sins has made us right with God and therefore we are allowed to be a part of that moment and to celebrate the fact that God's plan and God's purpose is about to be brought onto the, onto the world once and for all and to eliminate sin and to eliminate destruction for all eternity. But this moment isn't necessarily good for all of us. See, if you and I have put our faith and trust in Jesus as Savior, if we belong to God, then this is incredible. Like there may not be any other moments that we will ever experience more than this moment right here. The question that we've got to ask ourselves and answer is, do I belong to God? Do I belong to God? Because the answer to that question will determine whether or not we get to celebrate in that moment or not. And if the answer to that question for, for us is no, then that will not be a moment of great celebration but rather that will instead be a moment that will start God's wrath and God's judgment on sin and on death and on Satan himself and then will lead to God's judgment on the people who have chosen to reject God. See, what I want you guys to understand tonight is that Jesus will be payment for us or he will require payment from us. Jesus will either be payment for us, or he will require payment from us. So as you continue to read the book of Revelation, and I would encourage you to do that, and then be like, what? And it's, a, it's some crazy stuff that happens, but as you continue to read Revelation, Jesus opens the scroll and the events that will lead to the end of the world begin. And it's not really a pretty picture for several chapters. 
because it brings judgment and it brings war and plagues and death and destruction and a time of evil on the earth that has never been experienced before. And Satan will be allowed for a, a, a brief period of time for a few remaining days to be able to have his way and have power. And what he will do in those last few days is try to destroy as many people and destroy as much of God's work as he possibly can and, and really to take as many people down with him as he possibly can. And then it will lead as, as Satan tries to gather his troops and his army together for one last stand because he sets his sight on God. And Satan says, all right, this is my last attempt. I'm going to take down God himself. And so he gathers this vast army and he's ready to fight. And he sets out toward God in what we would think is going to be this huge battle that in reality actually turns into a very one-sided affair. And as Satan tries to attack, God sends fire down from, from heaven and burns up the enemy and the army. And that's pretty much the end of it. And then God takes Satan... And once and for all, he sends him for an eternal separation away from him, an eternal destruction in hell into the lake of fire. And for the last time, Satan and sin and death have been eradicated, have been eliminated from the face of the planet. And Satan no longer has any power or authority, can no longer cause any harm or destruction upon God's people. And once that is done, then in Revelation chapter 20, God brings about everyone who has chosen to reject him. And they line up before his throne and one by one, they have to stand before God the Father. And here's what happens in Revelation chapter, 11, chapter 20, verse 11. And John again is describing this. He says, and I saw a great white throne and the one sitting on it. The earth and the sky fled from his presence, but they found no place to hide. This is not a, a day of celebration. And I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne. And the books were opened, including the book of life, which in some circles and some translations is even called the Lamb's book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. Now, let me explain a little bit of what's happening. These, as it says they're given an account. They are judged according to what they have done. This really ultimately comes down to one question. What have they done with Jesus? What have you decided about Jesus? Because the people in this moment that will, that will have to stand before God, God are ones that have chosen to reject God, have rejected Jesus. And so they're not like, hey, how many people did you help across the road and did your good outweigh your bad and then we'll decide kind of what, what happens with you. No, in this moment, it's basically one question. What have you done about Jesus? And Jesus will stand there as the final authority, as the just judge. And there will be no back and forth like, hey, well, let me kind of explain, you know, why I did this or what happened here or whatever. Jesus will reveal everything about our life and, and come to the conclusion that we have rejected him. And then here's what it says in verse 15. 
And anyone whose name was not recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Now, there may not be a more humbling verse in the Bible than this. And this isn't one of those like happy-go-lucky moments like let's celebrate together. And honestly, this is one of those moments that a lot of us are like, you know, it seems unfair or we don't really like to talk about that or we kind of sweep it under the rug and go, nah, I don't really think God's going to be like that. But this is a picture that John is painting that he has been allowed to see. And it's clear cut. And in that moment, the people that have chosen to reject Jesus have to give an account for that decision. See, up until that moment, Jesus is seen in a lot of cases as this lamb who comes in grace, who comes you know, to, to suffer and to die, to offer forgiveness for us. And Jesus left heaven and he suffered and died. And G- that's the picture that we have of Jesus. And that Jesus was, is willing that none of us should have that moment, but that all of us should come to repentance. But in this moment, that's not the Jesus that we see. Because at some point, as much as Jesus has died for us and done for us to ha- so that we can have forgiveness and a relationship with him so that we don't find ourselves standing in that moment... At some point, it becomes too late. And for all of those people who have had those moments and those opportunities, and by the way that they've lived in those moments, have said, I reject God and what you offer me. Then they have to stand before God and they have to give an account for that. And payment will be required from them. And that may seem harsh to us. But for people who over and over and over again choose to reject God, isn't that the most just thing that God could do is in the end to give them what they've wanted all along? And that's an eternal separation from him. See, Jesus will either be payment for us or he will require payment from us. If Jesus is payment for us, then what we read about in Revelation 5 and then what we read about in Revelation 22, 3, in the end after all of that where it says, no longer will there be a curse upon anything for the throne of God and of the lamb will be there and his servants, us, will worship him. See, if Jesus has been payment for us, then Revelation 5 and Revelation 22 are great moments that we will... take part in, and we will celebrate. But if we've chosen not to allow Jesus to be payment for our sin, then the moment that we're said to look look at and to have to face is Revelation 20, where we will stand before God and Jesus will require payment from us. And I love that in Revelation 22, in the last mention of the the lamb, we see him sitting on the throne, that he is ruling and reigning, that sin is no more, that death is no more, that destruction is no more, that those things have been eliminated forever. And God has established his kingdom and his plans and his purposes have now fully come about. 
And for those of us whose blood of the lamb have covered our sins, we will rule and reign with him forever. We will celebrate and worship him because he is worthy of everything that we are. And there will be no greater thing to celebrate than for unworthy people to know that God's blood has made us worthy. And for all of us that may still think, man, it's so harsh, that's so wrong that God would do that. God's desire is for all of us to be able to celebrate in moments in Revelation 5. For us to celebrate in the end the fact that sin and death and destruction are no more and we get a chance to celebrate who God is and rule and reign with him forever. But it all comes down to us and a decision as to whether or not we are gonna accept or reject Jesus. And God, we love you. And God, we need you. God, I pray that none of us in this room would be prideful enough to feel like we can do this on our own. That Jesus, you will be payment for us or you will require payment from us. And God, I pray that none of us would leave this room tonight until we've allowed you to be the payment for us. That's what you gave up your life for so that we didn't have to suffer the consequences. And so God, I pray that we would put our faith and trust in you as our savior. God, I pray that for those of us that have, God, that we would long for the day of Revelation 5, that we would every single day as we live to never forget the blood that was shed for us, that changed everything, that offered forgiveness and freedom, that we are no longer who we used to be. God, may we live in the power of knowing that your blood has set us free. God, we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.